You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. It's so good to be here. I always enjoy coming home and uh, being with you. Looking at those, uh, those pictures brings back so many memories, so many people. Uh, that we're here to, to do this for you. A lot of them aren't here anymore. But they came and they gave their money and they gave their time and they gave their talents to put this here. And now here you are, 35 years later. That was We were trying to finish that for 1986 anniversary, and this is 68. So it's been a long time. And uh, that steeple you saw going up there that you see every time you come in. Myself, my father, and my two uncles gave that in memory of my grandfather who died while we were building this building, Reverend Paul Matheson. And part of my heritage, we brought it up here to Beacon. And there's that connection that's been there for a long time. Uh, We were having dinner last night, and Pastor Tate asked me, he said, how long ago was it that you came with me to Evangel Church in Elizabeth, New Jersey? Wow. Uh, In a couple of months, it'll be 50 years since I went with him to his new church as his youth pastor. And before that, he had been my pastor for eight years in El Bethel in Staten Island. And uh, we go back even further than that because in honor of my birth, he came to start a church here. That's why my birth... And this church are the same age. I was born in 51. He came to Beacon in 51 to start this church. And uh, I came just after he did. Uh, I found that in the book out there. There was a guest book. When I got here in the beginning of 74, there was an old red guest book sitting out there. So I went in. I I said, this is a famous. Marilyn Monroe had been here. Superman had been here. Uh, I went through all these people. You know, when you don't watch your kids, they're signing the guest book out there. And so we had all these famous people signing it. And then I found in July 1953, Mildred and Udd and little Philip came to visit Jim and Arlene. That kid in the nursery came back to haunt some of those ladies 21 years later. That baby was their pastor. (laughs) Didn't go over well, but they were here for a little while. (laughs) Uh, But that's part of it. And uh, the the pastor who founded this church, Pastor Tate, uh, my pastor from when I was 10 to when I was 18, and then I went with him as his youth pastor, uh, gave me my love for the Old Testament. And I have spent the majority of my ministry studying the Old Testament uh, because I don't feel you can really understand the new one until you understand the old one. And uh, so we did that, and uh, it was under his ministry. I got the call to go into the ministry. I still have a bit of bitterness in my heart because he sent me to his old Bible school, which was a dump, and uh, it was a terrible place. I lasted two years. I went back the second year because I had a job at a 
pharmaceutical factory and paid me good money. So I went back the second year to school. And after two years, I said, oh, what they pay me, I'm not coming back to this school. And I left. Uh, but God used him mightily in my life. And then when he asked me to come here, he asked me to come and speak for one Sunday. I left town 44 years later. <laughs> So I think I got roped into something. And he said, oh, I knew God wanted you to go there. Thank you for not telling me that because I wouldn't have come if I had thought I had to stay. <laughs> but it's been great. And uh, Ray, his oldest son, and his wife, Patty, are here with us today, too. And we're grateful to see them. Ray was born in Beacon while his mom and dad were here. So he's coming home to where he was born. So a lot of history for us here. And uh, we're so grateful to uh, be able to still be a part of your lives. I see a lot of new faces here, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. You don't know who I am, just ask somebody who looks old. They'll tell you uh, who I am. And... Uh, but, I, you know, I was asking the Lord for something to share with you. I, I have a wife that, you know, starting about a week before I come to any place, she said, do you know what you're talking about yet? And I always tell her the same thing. No, do you have any ideas? And she, like that. And so she asked me the other night, why were we here? And I said, no, I, you know, I'm just going to get him talk. Um, but I do have something that the Lord laid on my heart. And... Uh, Last week, Ian called me and said, hey, pastor, uh, do you know what you're speaking on? And I said, yep. I gave him the title. I gave him the scripture verses, and he got all set, and he was going to make a, did he make the thing for here? There it is. Uh, the purpose of the church in this age. And uh, I have come today to challenge you, to expose you to things. I hope that when I am finished today, that I have taught you something you didn't know, answered a question maybe that you had, but I send you out of here with more questions than answers. Because I really feel that one of the things a pastor should do is send you home to study during the week. He should say things to you on Sunday that you say, what? <laughs> and then go dig it out, try and prove him wrong. Well, because you love him, you agree with him, you want to try and reinforce it so the next time he says you, you can knock somebody with your own and say, yeah, he's right. Uh, I studied that myself, you know. That's a good thing. And so I want to talk to you about the purpose of the church in this age because uh, having been in the ministry for 50 years, uh, I realized not this church, but all the other churches I've met are pretty clueless when it comes to what their purpose is. And I'm not going to ask you any questions because I don't want you to raise your hand for the wrong answer and then be embarrassed and then get mad at me because you don't know anything. So we're not going to do that. But most people, when I ask them, what, what is the church here for? What, I get the same answer about 90% of the time. We're here to bring people to Jesus Christ. The purpose of the church is salvation. And write it down someplace. Bishop Phil said, no, it's not it. That's not the purpose of the church. 
It's not that we're not supposed to do that. How many of you know it's good to introduce people to Jesus? It's good to see people become part of the family of God, get their sins forgiven, and get set on the road. That, that's all good stuff, but that's not the purpose. That's the starting point. We have too many people sitting in church this morning across this country that think because they gave their life to the Lord on a certain date, they're all set. Because in their mind, what they got was they got a heavenly insurance policy, a heavenly fire insurance policy. See, I did that, so I ain't going to burn. I'm not going to hell. Hallelujah. It's not what it's all about. I want you to open your Bible with me this morning to the book of 2 Timothy. In 2 Timothy, the first chapter. It says this. Verse 9. Well, let's go to verse 8, the beginning of the sentence. That would help. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, not of, his, of me, his prisoner, but sharing in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. See, a lot of Christians don't believe that. They go back and say, you know, it was on June 7th, 1962, that I found the Lord and got saved. First of all, he wasn't lost so you couldn't find him. Secondly, he chose you before the world was formed. You just found out about it. And if we don't have these things straight in our mind, we can't give a good testimony to somebody else. And I think because of it, I messed up for so long that now I'm trying to make it up and I'm getting so old so fast that I know I can't finish this job. But the truth of the matter is, he came, he, he saved us so he could call us. Did you notice that? That's what Timothy said. When Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, that's what he says. He says, listen, who saved us and then called us to a holy calling. Now, the question is, you know you got saved. What did you get called to? How many of you are called? You got your hands full here. I'll tell you that. All right, here's a hint. You all got called. Some of you don't know it yet. It's very evident that you don't know you were called. But you were saved. Most of you know that. So, oh, yeah, I was saved. Oh, good. Now, when did you get called? Before the foundations of the world, you got saved and called. But we get saved, and we're so thrilled we're not going to hell anymore. We don't worry about being called. We think being called is the call to worship on Sunday morning. We're supposed to be in church. No. God called you with a holy calling, a heavenly calling. 
And it's not because of anything you did. It's not because you're talented or you're smart or anything. It's just because he loved you. Just because he loved you. And he said he did this because of his own purpose and grace. You know, in spite of my ignorance, I had the grace of God fall on my life that I resisted. I didn't want it. Because when I got saved as a young boy of 10, I was raised in church before I was born. My mother carried me. And I went to church every Sunday, morning and night. You people got it easy. Sunday school, morning worship, dinner with the family, choir practice or orchestra, evening service. It's the way it was. You were busy from 9.30 in the morning till 10 o'clock at night. It was no problem because in those days it was called the Lord's Day. And the whole day was his, not an hour. There's a difference. And so as I went through that process of realizing I needed a Savior at about 10 years of age, when he first came to the church, I remember in the stairs right next to the piano going up to the choir loft. I knelt there one Sunday night and realized I'm a mess. I'm going to hell. I'm going to burn forever and ever. Remember those days? And uh, I gave my heart to the Lord. Three years later, at 13, I heard the call. And I was like, oh, no. That's not for me. I'm not going to ministry. I don't want anything to do with that. Ministers are all poor. They drive old cars. They wear funny clothes. I ain't doing it. I'm, not, I'm just not interested. I'm not even spiritual. Besides that, I'm 13. Nobody calls a 13-year-old. And I read the Bible and found out he did call some kids sometimes. So that didn't work. Samuel was a real pain. And so I fought with the Lord for a year. And finally, I yielded. Later, I found out what a blessing. What a, listen to this. God called me to study the Bible, to learn about him, to be able to tell other people about him, and I got paid for it. You all got to do that and not get paid for it. I got paid to study my Bible. I got paid to sit in the presence with the Lord and listen for him to talk to me, to tell me stuff about my people so I could come back and tell them, this is what God says. This is exciting. I got paid for that. And when I realized, I was like, why me? Why, why me? Why are you so good to me? I didn't even want to come. And you called me. And there's a process here. How many of you have heard me teach? Every, you need to understand everything on at least three dimensions or three levels. Those of you who have been around here for a while know that. For those of you who don't, you got something new today, it's free. <laughs> Try and understand everything on three levels. In this thing, I told you, you're saved. You're called. And some of you are going to start an exciting second part of your journey to find your call. And then... 
if you listen and accept your call, after you're called, he can choose you for something special. Saved, called, and chosen. They're all in the Bible. Paul talks about all of them extensively. And they're all very much in the same line because later on he said, as he's writing to another church, he says this, listen, you need to understand that. You were chosen, not just saved, not just called, but you were chosen before the foundations of the world were laid. Before Genesis chapter 1, God saved you, he called you, and he chose you for a special assignment. And we got millions of people sitting in church this morning, thankfully saved and not going to hell. Not knowing they got a call on their life because they don't answer the call. God can't choose them. And said, so don't why they're here. So the purpose of the church is being totally frustrated because the majority of the church is clueless as to why they're here. They think they're here to be good. How many of you have messed that up this week? See, <laughs> trying to be good. That, it's a horrible assignment. And if you're married, it's worse. Because you've got somebody who knows everything about you, seeing everything you do, and God always seems to make them feel they're called to tell you. <laughs> and I'm chosen to bear up under it. You see, it's a process that we go through. I won't get through today without messing up somehow. Some, and, you know, I'm good at this, so I can hide it. See, you can't always tell when I'm sinning. My outside is smiling at you, and my mind is going 100 miles an hour, <laughs> cursing you out, asking God to do all kinds of terrible things to you, especially if you're driving in front of me. I still don't have victory over the motor vehicle. And you see, we go through this, and our life gets frustrated. I can't tell you how boring it is to be a Christian when you don't know this stuff. You get up on Sunday, oh, we got to go again. If you ever think that, you're messed up. You should be getting up on Sunday saying, praise the Lord. <laughs> I get to go hang out with his people. That guy's going to teach me something from the word of God. I'm going to learn something today. I'm going to come out of here excited on Monday to go to work. That's what should be happening. Monday, you have an advantage over everybody in your office if you're a Christian. You come in fired up, full of love, and ready to go with a positive attitude. And they all come in hungover. Talk about an advantage. Why? Because you were called to do something. And when you realize that, Paul understood that. Look with me to 2 Thessalonians, just a couple books up. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. He says this in verse 14. To this he called you through our gospel. 
so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. You are called, and one of the benefits of that call is you obtain the glory of God into your life. You know how many Christians are living without the glory? Man, so many are living, all they got is rules. They don't have any glory. Can't do this, can't do that, can't go there, can't hang with those who do. Glory to God. What can we do? What do Christians do for fun? Do you hear the silence in this room? <laughs> we can't tell. We leave town to do it. <laughs> there you go. There's one confession today. You see, we were called. This calling brings with it a glory. You know why it brings with the glory of Christ? Because you can't do it without the glory. You can't determine to go out of here today and say, I'm going to do this. No, you give up right now. Give up. Spend time with God and acknowledge the call and say, let me hear it. In fact, when you get up tomorrow morning, that's the first thing I want you to say. Lord, let me hear it. What? The call. What are you calling me to do today? If not, you'll be bored all day. Even if you're making money, you won't be happy. Look at, go over to Colossians. I'm doing a lot with Paul today. Colossians, Philippians, Colossians. Chapter 1. This is, his, Paul is the most amazing person that God ever put in your life. And so he's, he's writing here, and he says, Now I rejoice in my suffering. You all do that, right? Next year. I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, the church. Paul realized part of his calling was to suffer. Because his suffering would bring the glory of God into his life and be a benefit to all of us. Some of the letters he wrote, he wrote sitting in a stinking prison in a mud floor place. And you would never know he was in that environment when he wrote because of this calling on his life. And he said this, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God. Another translation says the dispensation of God. Let me ask you this. Sometimes we go through these words real quick. We don't know. How many of you know the root of the word dispensation? All right. You all use this. How many of you go to Burger King? That's good. Hardly anybody goes to Burger King. How many go to Wendy's? All right, we're going good. And Mickey D's, McDonald's? McDonald's wins. Okay. When you go there, how many of you get a soda? Okay. Where do you go to get your soda? To a dispensing machine. Right? So he talks here about the, dis the dispensing machine of God. 
Don't get so spiritual. You can't understand what he's talking about. And, and how do you get the benefit out of a dispenser? You tell me. What? You, you, how, do you, how do you use it? You got to take what you want filled and you got to put it in the right place. Because if you don't get it in the right place, the Coca-Cola goes down the drain and you have a nice clean cup. It's the same thing with God. You got to get yourself where he wants you to be so that when he dispenses his glory into your life so you can fulfill your call that you got some glory. I tell people all the time, the reason my life is blessed the way it is, I got one thing right. Thank God. Well, I did get a couple things right, but this one thing I got right. And as I found out years ago, the most important thing that I had to do was hear from God and do what he told me. Anything else didn't matter. Could be good, could be bad, could be embarrassing. But if I could hear from God and do what he told me to do, the phenomenon of the obedience that comes from hearing God brings the blessing. So when I came to Beacon, New York, I didn't want to come here. It wasn't as nice as it is now. I did not want to come to Beacon. But I knew one thing. God says, there's the Coke machine. If you want my blessing, you want my glory, get your, get your cup under that dispenser. Because any day that I decide to pour out my glory on the earth, if you're in Connecticut and you're supposed to be under the dispenser and beacon, you ain't getting none. I'm in Texas now. I'm under a new dispensing machine. God told us to go and help start a church, and we've started that. And God's doing miracles. It's awesome. It's wonderful. And it's your extension into Austin, Texas. Your pastor and one of your youth pastors is down there planting a church. Okay? But because we're where God wants us to be, already the blessing is flowing into our lives. We went down there, and we went down a year early, and we said, God, show us the neighborhood you want us to live in. Pretty weird. This is America. You can live wherever you want. If you're an American, you can live wherever you want. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he has a place for you to live. He has a church for you to attend. You can't go wherever you want and be blessed. You think you can, but you're wrong. God has a place for you. Well, you know, in that church, I don't like the music. Tough. Well, the pastor's bald. <laughs> Tough. Pastors are good bald, right, Ray? See that? Pastor, isn't that good? You got three out of four bald. I'm the guy out. Yeah, rub your head. You see, this is, we, we pick churches because we like the building. It's close to the house. It's convenient. It's got the program we want and all this stuff. God, God didn't have a youth program. Churches do that to keep the parents coming so they can get their tithes. I'm sorry. That's not true. <laughs> you want to minister to the whole family. 
This is true. This is a good thing to do. It's not a bad thing to do. But if that's the criteria, if you got some little kid next to you screaming, I don't want to go to church, just hit him. <laughs> if that's where God wants you to be, you don't let an eight-year-old tell you where you're going to worship. Not even a 16-year-old. I've pastored long enough to see kids lead their parents out of a church into another church. That's a mess. Dad, where does God want you so your family's going to be blessed? You've got to answer that question. That's what you've got to answer. Because then you get under the dispenser. You can sit in another church. The guy might be an excellent speaker, but if that's not what God wants you, that's all just going to pour it out on the ground. It's not going to get in here. So he, Paul says, I was made a dispensing machine from God that was given for you to make the word of God fully known, which is the mystery hidden for ages and generations and now revealed to the saints. Wow. Now here's another question. What is the mystery of God that Paul was trying to share with the church? Do you know it? I found an old translation of the Bible from the mid-1800s, and it translates this in a wonderful way, all through Paul's writings. He mentions about 15 times this mystery. And it's translated by Rothman's translation. Hidden, the mystery hidden from the ages is the sacred secret. Hidden for the ages and now revealed through Jesus Christ. Do you know Proverbs 25.1 says this. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter and the glory of kings to search it out. How much time do you spend searching out the mysteries of God? Do you know how many there are in the Bible? Well, I'll go find out. I ain't telling you. <laughs> Got to study for some things you get. Just look up the word mystery for most of your translations of the concordance, and it'll talk to you about the mystery of Never mind. It'll talk to you about the mysteries of God. But this one here, this is the sacred secret. And I want to encourage you to not leave the Holy Spirit alone until you know what the sacred secret is. You say, well, why don't you tell us? If you knew how long it took me to find it, you'd know why I'm not giving it away that easy. <laughs> I spent years as a pastor not knowing these secrets. How many of you were here years ago when I, I taught on the, sacred, the secret staircase of God. Was anybody here for that? I know Cheryl remembers it. Paul, a couple. That was an awesome secret that God shared with me. And I shared that with the whole church, and two people remember it. <laughs> it's a great teaching. There's a secret staircase in your Bible. What is a staircase for? For going up? And coming down. You need that in your life. 
And there is a secret that God has for elevating you up into his presence and seeing things that are up in the heavenlies and bringing you back down to earth to minister. But if you don't know the secret staircase, you stand all your life saying, whoa, what's up there? And you ask your buddy next to you, and he said, I don't know. Praise God. God works in mysterious ways. <laughs> it's amazing. But here's another question for you. You get to, get to look that up. Oh, my. There's a hint in the next verse. So I'll give you the hint. To them, God chooses to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this sacred secret, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Wow. Wow. One of the mysteries, and you know, I'll tell you what we do. I did it. I did it for years. What is this mystery? It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. When you invited Jesus into your heart, that's what it's talking about. Well, then it's not a mystery, is it? If you understood that in Sunday school, it's probably not a big sacred secret. Paul's trying to teach this to the church, to the adults in the church. And he says, okay, this is the way it goes. Look at me to Ephesians chapter 1. Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians, right? Oh, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. We're going the other way. Ephesians chapter 1. Here he writes this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ in every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Christ Jesus, according to the purpose of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. I'm going to keep going. This is really good. You don't want to miss this. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavishes upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the... That's not up there. Making known to us the mysteries or the sacred secret of his will according to his kind pleasure... There is a sacred secret that God wants to manifest to his church according to his kind pleasure in the New American Standard Version. Hmm. Do you know your God has a kind pleasure? Kindness has to do with what? It has to do with stuff we do to other people, right? I guess you can be kind to yourself, but it really doesn't work that well. But kindness is recognized when you're kind to someone else. You don't see much of that anymore. You should be doing it because you're believers and you want to be like Jesus. So be kind this week when you go to work, when you go to the market, when you drive beside some fool in a car who doesn't, oh, never mind. 
So he says, and the plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, in heaven and things on earth. We need to recognize that his plan, his kind pleasure, his mysteries are what he has for the church. And I come to you today just to say this. I hope when you leave this place, you realize there is so much more for you than what you have. So much more. And I prayed before I came here this morning that God would put inside of his people a holy hunger to know these things. To search them out. You say, well, you know, I don't have much of a library. And uh, how many of you know, you, he sent the Holy Spirit. And he said, he'll teach you. He'll teach you. He'll remind you things I said. He's the biggest library you could ever get. What you need to do is give him the time to talk to you. Ray knows he was a pastor for many years. The thing that's hardest in the ministry is getting the time to spend with God. Everybody wants a piece of your day, right? They're all knocking at the door, calling the secretary. People in the church, people outside the church. Everybody wants the pastor's time. You want to really grow in the Lord? You want to see this church grow? Leave them alone. Let him have time with God. You need him to do that more than you need him to talk to you. Faith comes by hearing God speak to you. It's no different for the pastor. If he doesn't hear God talk to him this week, he really should just cancel next Sunday. He won't. Don't worry. He'll tell you something. Right? He says he'll say something. But you want him to hear from God. Faith comes by hearing the word of God to you. It doesn't come by doing faith muscle exercises. I heard that garbage on Christian TV once. Faith is like a muscle. You've got to exercise it. The only muscle you need to exercise is your brain. Faith is a gift from God. God gives everyone a portion. A portion of faith. How many of you know a portion gives you no clue how big it is? See, if you go to an Italian house, a portion is a lot bigger than in a Norwegian house. It just is. In fact, in an Italian house, you don't usually have to ask for a second portion. You got it the first time. It's just the way it is. And so a portion could be a little bit. It could be a lot. It could be a pile. We went to Stefano's the other night. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Talk about a portion. They set lasagna down in front of my wife, and she couldn't see Billy across the table. It's the biggest piece of lasagna I ever saw. It's huge. Portion. He says, I give to everyone a portion of faith. How many of you know some days you need a bigger portion than others? 
What you need to do is not ask God for a bigger portion of faith. You need to spend time longer to hear him better. Today's a really busy, busy day. I better get up a half hour early to spend a half hour extra with the Lord. Not so I can get more done. All God has to do is tell you one thing, and you can make a fortune tomorrow. I had a friend in Connecticut. He was a, uh, a painter. Went to Black Rock Congregational Church. I was in the construction field while I was being a youth pastor, and he would come in and paint sometimes. And he, <laughs> he said, Phil, he said, I was asking the Lord for money to give to missions. He says, I've really gotten this burden to give to missions. I said, well, that's a good thing. He said, yeah. He says, and the Lord said, no. I said, well, that's good. He said, why is that good? I said, because whenever the Lord says no, it's good. He would never say no unless he had a better idea than you do. I heard later what God gave him was a better idea. <laughs> he was in his basement, and he had to fix the wall. He had to paint it, and he had all this paint on the wall. And you know how it is in a basement? It peels. It's ugly. And uh, God gave him this idea for this thing you put on the end of a drill. It has all these metal tines or things on it, and it spins around, and you lean it up against the cement wall, and it strips the paint down to the cement block. I don't know how many of those he sold, but he's a very wealthy man today, and he just didn't give it all to missions. He's living really good. Why? The desire to give to missions, listening to the Lord, Instead of getting cash, getting an idea that produced cash since I left him in the 70s. I don't even know if he's still alive. But if not, his kids are doing well. How many of you would like to hear from God? And not just because you want money. What about if he shared one of his mysteries with you? Last year, I was studying the one of the mysteries. I'll tell you this one. That's the only one I'm going to tell you. <laughs> one of the mysteries of the Lord are the mysteries of his judgments. Mm-hmm. How many of you like judgment? <laughs> Pastor, preach more on judgment. He should. Judgment's a good thing. Any Christians in the room? Eight. Okay. Oh, oh, here we go. They're just slow Christians. All right, so the judgments of the Lord. David, God gave David an unbelievable gift. God gave David the ability to go up here like this and look down through future history. He showed him the cross. David saw the cross. David saw your redemption. David saw salvation coming. David saw that it wasn't just for the Jews. It was for the Gentiles. David saw all of this. He was amazed 
by God. That's why he could write what he wrote. David personally was messed up, but God loved him and showed him things. How many of you are personally messed up? There's hope. He'll show you stuff. He'll talk to you. Don't worry about it. Have you killed anybody yet? David did. David was a terrorist, a murderer, an adulterer. He had the whole thing going. Typical deacon material, you know. And, and so he does all this stuff, and then God shows him these things. And he showed him judgment. And David says, it's wonderful. The judgments of the Lord, they're true and righteous altogether. They're sweeter than honey. What? We're talking about the same word here? That's why it's a mystery. People don't understand it. Here's part of the mystery. If you're, <laughs> if you know God, like his father's the judge, and his son is your attorney, and you walk into that classroom, that, that courtroom, and the guy sitting at the bench says, who's this? And what'd he do? And your attorney, Jesus Christ says, he's mine and he can do nothing. And the judge says, not guilty. All of you who know Jesus are going to hear that same judgment. Where's the evidence? We have none, Your Honor. Anybody happy about that? Act like it. Woo! It's just one, that's just one part of one of the mysteries that should get you excited when you come to church on Sunday. You know, if you could just get a, a clue as to one or two of these mysteries that we're talking about here, Stephanie would have no trouble on Sunday getting you to make noise. You would come into this place and you would say, you don't believe what I found out this week. I am blessed beyond your wildest dreams. God is good all the time. God is good. You'll be shouting to each other. You'll be exhorting one another how great God is. That sound like better than most church you go to? All oh, the mysteries of God. If we could just take the time to sit in his presence... And say, oh, the stuff I was scared about all my life, I shouldn't be afraid. Because now I understand the mystery. It seems like a paradox sometimes. Sometimes you read the Bible and you think, oh boy, God's mad today. He's not having a good day. And the next time you read it, he's loving and kind and can't wait to see you. And it's like, this guy's got like bipolar disease. What is he? Is he mad or is he happy? Does anybody know? Paul calls him your happy God. That's the actual translation. Your happy God. You, you got a happy God. That should make you happy. We should be the happiest people on the face of the earth. Why? We got it all in Christ Jesus. Well, Pastor, I got problems. Don't we all? Jesus had his bad days. Oh, no, not him. 
Yeah, you know what? The Holy Spirit drags you out into a desert and sicks the devil on you and tries to take you down. That's not a good day. How many of you know Jesus had 40 days of that in a row? He didn't have a bad day. He had a day when all of his friends abandoned him. You get one friend that abandons you, you fall apart. They all left him. Look at that. People giving out blessings and we haven't even left yet. All right. I think you've had enough. How many of the Lord blessed you with questions? Good. Good. I want you to know I made point two out of five. Preach. Yeah, preach. That's what you say. Somebody else is saying, burgers, burgers. <laughs> Listen, if I had one thing I wanted to do when I was here with you today, it was to get you excited about loving Jesus. To get you inspired to open your Bible and sit down on a chair with the Lord in the room with you and just say, man, talk to me today. Would you, would you tell me something I don't know? When I started doing this as a pastor, I realized I wasn't spending enough time with God. And I told Helen, I said, I'm not coming in until the afternoon. And I wasn't on the golf course. I didn't say anything. I was sitting in a chair up in the bedroom of my house. And I went up there, and I said, Lord, I need to hear from you. I've already told the people more than I know. I got to tell them what you know. Talk to me. You know what he said? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. I got nothing. I sat there for an hour, and all of a sudden my mind started going. My, my mind can go really fast at times. Other times it's slow as molasses in January. But when you're trying to pray, or you want to spend time with God, how many of you know your memory gets healed? All kinds of things happen when you're trying to pray. <laughs> You remember stuff you got to do, places you got to be, things people said to you. And it's like, oh, man. All of a sudden, somebody's sin from 15 years ago comes to your mind. It's like, oh, that? Oh, never mind. I'm trying to be spiritual here, Lord. It took two days of sitting there getting nothing before the third day when I came up. And God spoke to me. And I was a mess. When God spoke, I just sat there and cried. It was like, you asked him to speak to you, and then he speaks to you. You're crying like a baby. Nothing more precious, nothing more precious than the voice of the Lord in your life. Nothing. I know Christians haven't heard God talk to them in years. I don't know how you do it. You've trained yourself to live without the voice and presence of God. It's a terrible sin. You need to go tell them it's a sin. 
You need to get down with the Lord and not talk about Uncle Harry's broken leg or President Trump being a bad person. You just, you just go to the Lord and say, you know what? I have spent so many days without being in your presence and without talking to you. And I can't even remember the last time you spoke to me and I heard you. And now I realize that's probably the most important thing I have to learn to do. So could you help me? It's a simple prayer. But I want to tell you, this church will never be the same if even one-tenth of you begin to pray that prayer. Changed my whole ministry. Upset me, turned me upside down, shook me out, destroyed my belief system. It was so bad that six months or a year later, my wife says to me one Sunday, Phil, what do we believe anymore? I had my wife confused because God was changing the way I saw the whole Bible. The way I saw him changed. And when I saw him differently, how I read the Bible changed. And I, how I saw people changed. It was no longer us and them. It was just us. Oh, they're bad. They're messed up. They're sinners. You're bad. You're messed up. And you're a sinner too. You just got to forgive them. And you know what Jesus said? That messed up, bad person that needs to be forgiven, I put you there to forgive him. And if you forgive his sin, I'll forgive his sin. How's that for a deal? Okay. Here I go again. If you could just grab a couple of these thoughts that I threw out all over you today. Just get one or two of them. You could be busy all week. And your life could change. There's a song we used to sing, said, more of you, more of you. That's just what I need, is more of you. Of things I've had my fill, but yet I hunger still. Empty and bare, Lord, hear my prayer for more of you. Ever come to that day, living in this country as blessed as we are, where you could say, of things, I've had my fill. But yet I hunger still. It's got to be for more of you. So here I am, empty and bare. I'm not hiding anything from you. Lord, hear my prayer for more of you. Bow your head with me. Oh, Father, it's been so good to be here in your living room with your family. <laughs> Thank you for blessing me by allowing me to be here. Lord, I pray for those who've heard this message today that you just give them something today, new and fresh and exciting from you. Lord, my prayer is every one of them, because they came here today into this room and spent time with you, would be closer to you than they have been for a while. Bless us with your presence. Be gracious to us and let us hear your voice. And Holy Spirit, help us to obey. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle Podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, 
check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.